Welcome to In, In It, it together. together. I'm Jay. And I'm Courtney. And this is our podcast where we discuss mental health and self-improvement from a couple's perspective. We're at it again. Yes, we are. And today we're going to do a special episode. We're actually going to do a Q&A. Well, we've done a Q&A before. Yes. And, and I, I like to call them special episodes because, you know, we like to have topics and things like this. But I had so many people reach out with these questions and I says, hey, you know, we'll put them on the podcast. So here we are. All right. So you handed me, a, I guess, a list of these questions. Yes. You are going to ask the questions. So did you want me to ask them in any particular order or am uh, I just no, going to randomly select yeah, one of these? Whatever's best. Doesn't matter. And you're going to answer these because I have, this is the first time I'm looking at them and I'm. But chime in though, you know, devil's advocate. Yeah, I'll, I'll add value wherever I can. So let's, let's get right into it here. So let's see. How do you talk to a loved one who doesn't understand your mental health and invalidates it? That's a good one. Uh, yeah, no. So this is a really good one. So first and foremost, you cannot talk to anybody about anything that you fully don't understand yourself. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Make sure that you understand what your mental health needs are, how it affects you, what triggers you, and what you're currently doing to manage those symptoms or cope with them. You cannot effectively talk to somebody. And that, let me take a step back. That may be why they don't understand because you haven't effectively expressed yourself because you yourself don't understand what's going on. So sometimes it's just saying that. Sometimes it's just saying to them, I can't effectively express to you what I'm going through because I'm still learning about that. I just need you to understand that my mental health is struggling. And if you want to support me, just listening is what you can do right now. Really, we can't expect anybody to understand something we don't. On top of that, I want to say that it is not your responsibility to repeatedly help somebody understand something. It is your responsibility to provide the information. It's then up to them to say, hmm, can I learn a little bit more about this to understand? When they come back to you with a question, then you can answer. So their learning process and how much they care about you will fall on their shoulders if they want to seek to understand. You need to just work on understanding it yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, the only thing I can, I guess I could add to that is it's important to to self-validate, right? To be, uh, to, uh, like, like you said, right? To understand what it is that is going on and be effectively working towards fixing that, right? So we're highly influenced, right? And in this, and I, I'm, I'm going to speak to this from a, a standpoint, I, I, you know, I'm Latino. I come from a community that doesn't value mental health the way it should. And this happens also in the, you know, African-American community or any community, a minority community that values strength over everything. Right. And I, I, I can speak to that because it is a tenant in, in the, in, in our communities, right? You have to be strong. You're, you're told to be strong and that means be mentally strong. Right. And being mentally weak is, is seen as a negative, Right. But understanding what your needs are is being strong, is being mentally strong. You're mentally strong by acknowledging your limitations, acknowledging what you're going through, but it's not about bitching about it, right? It's not about using it as a crutch and saying, oh, you know, I have mental health issues, so I can't do this, I can't do that. No, it's about saying, I have these limitations, but I'm pushing through them. I understand what they are. I understand that it, it, these are limiting factors, but I'm I'm working through these things. And I think that goes a long way for someone else to not only validate 
that 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 this is a real thing, mm-hmm. but understand that it's not it's not just you making a, a, an excuse or using it as a crutch because I think that's where a lot of people kind of you know get that right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's like oh, poor me. You're just playing the poor me, and it's not about playing the poor me. It's about saying okay, this is a valid thing, but I'm working through it. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that. So, right, so our next question. Let's see. Uh, when you say healing your trauma, do you mean curing it? I knew this question was coming. That's what my intuition told me. So no, there is a huge misperception when it comes to when will I know when I'll be healed? You know, as, so to say something has been cured is almost as to exist that it never happened, that there's no track of it. There is no remnants of it ever happening, right? That's not how trauma is. This is how I explain healing trauma, okay? You go and you break a bone, right? Over time, the bone heals itself. But through an x-ray, you still see the cracks, right? You have a scar because you got a deep, you know, seven-layer tissue cut or whatever. It's something that hurt you real bad. Over time, the scars are still there. You can still see it, but it's less thin. It's less sensitive when you run your fingers over it, okay? When we heal our trauma, it just means that our triggers no longer control us. It does not mean that we will never be triggered again. It does not mean that we won't be bothered by things. It does not mean that our traumas will not affect us. It just means that our trauma will not control us. That is what healing is. Healing is when you can say and you can stop and you can put your barriers up and your boundaries up and say, okay, I know where I'm at right now. I know what this trigger is going to do to me and I'm feeling it. So I'm going to intervene now before it goes any further. That's how you know that you're healing. Also, there is no past tense in healed healing journey. There is no destination. There's no timestamp. We're always evolving. We're always healing. There's no room for curing trauma because it's just not possible. It's healing it. It's not letting it control you. And it's not being controlled by your triggers. That's what I mean when I say healing trauma. Yeah, and it was a good analogy with the broken bone because it's like you said, right? Once you've broken a bone, you have to let it heal. Once it does heal, there's still a remnant of that, right? You, yeah. you, you know, and in a lot of times when you break a bone, if it heals properly, it's stronger. But that doesn't mean it can't be broken again. Right. So it's important not to put yourself in a situation once you've, again, using an analogy, right? If you broke your arm because you were skateboarding, right? Next time, you're going you're gonna to be more cautious about what you were doing to avoid breaking that bone again, right? Doesn't mean it's, it might not happen again, right? Or it might break in a different area, but you're aware, you're you're conscious. So that's that's the point. And I think it was a great analogy with that bone breaking thing. Healing your trauma doesn't effectively, like I said, doesn't make it go away. It doesn't mean that the trauma's not there. It just means that you've learned to cope with it and you've learned to effectively put in those protections so it doesn't so it doesn't happen or, or it doesn't trigger you again. And this is and I think I want to bring this up because in the mental health community, especially with clinicians and therapists and counselors, they like to say, you know, we're going to heal your trauma, but they don't talk about what healing trauma means. And then there's this misinterpretation and then people become frustrated and drop out of therapy because it's quote unquote not working because they're feeling too much because it hurts. That's healing. So, you know, 15 years, you know, as a counselor showed me that and also my own healing journey. What I thought healing was and what healing is are two different things and it's definitely not curing. 
So let's move on to the next question here is uh, what are some natural consequences to broken boundaries? Okay, so here's one for you. Let's hypothetically say someone in your family is racist. They make racist jokes all the time, right? I will not tolerate racist comments or racist jokes. I don't have any space for it in my life. That's your boundary, right? So what's a natural consequence for that? Now, remember, a boundary without a consequence is trash. You need to not only set the boundary, but also say the consequence if it doesn't happen, because otherwise they're going to just push your buttons, right? So your uncle's at the table and he's running his mouth and you have said to him, I've told you X, Y, and Z. And I also told you that if you were going to continue with that behavior, that I would accept it as you not respecting my boundaries and you not respecting X, Y, and Z. And so therefore I'm comfortable asking you to leave my home and you are no longer welcome at family events until you can respect that boundary. That is a natural consequence, right? You know, another consequence, you know, could be something along the lines of, Let's hypothetically say you have told someone in your family, or we can even use your mom, you know, the boundary of yours has, has been don't talk about X, Y, and Z in my home when you're here. And if you do, then we're not going to have a relationship around that. A natural consequence needs to fit it. So if they're saying hurtful things, then natural consequences is I'm not going to talk to you. That's what you want to do. You want the consequence to make sense with what the boundary was. You know, if someone physically puts their hands on you and your boundary has been, I do not want you to put your hands on me or to touch me. And because of that, I have no problem if you do that again, ending the relationship and moving out immediately. I'm just saying, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like significant DV, but still. And if that person again went and did that, then you would have to follow through with that. The natural consequences is we are no longer together. I am taking myself and I'm moving out. What you say matters. If you say, if you do that again and I'm going to do this and that doesn't happen, then it's going to be ineffective. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next question is, how do I know if someone is healthy and not toxic? Set a boundary. Someone who is healthy will respect your boundary. They may have questions, but they'll respect it. A, a person who is toxic will not respect your boundaries and will try to push your levels and try to justify their actions and, ex and also make you question why you put a boundary in the first place. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. If you can set a boundary and the person respects that boundary, then that's a healthy person Absolutely. To, to be around. If it's a toxic person, they're going to question it, you know, and 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 try to break and it and try to push it. Yeah, exactly. So that's a perfect way to know when you have someone that's toxic or someone that is a boundary. Exactly. You set a boundary and boundaries are, are important in, in, in any relationship. They are important. They tell our partners or, or, or the people that we interact with. This is what I'm comfortable with and this is what I'm not comfortable with. And again, someone that is is respectful of your of your space and and your boundaries that you set are the people that you want, you know, to be in your life. And the people that don't are really again, are negative influences. Thank you for adding that. So, the next question is my wife and I both have trauma and we always when we are always triggering each other. Help. <laughs> Well, once I figure out how to do that for myself, I can then help you with the situation. No, I'm serious. So when you have two people that have trauma, they are going to trigger one another, not intentionally, not because they don't love one another, but because it's their trauma and something about that person has triggered you. And here's the thing that I'm learning and I learned through my own therapeutic process here is the trigger has nothing to do with the other person, has everything to do with you. So you want to say, like, I want to say, oh, my husband's trigger me. Every time you do that, you trigger me. And you start projecting that they are the problem. They're not the problem. It is you. You have to look at why is that triggering for you. 
And when you guys find each other triggered, it is because you need to do some processing, right? You need to ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? Why is it when my wife chews her food, I feel like throwing her off the roof? Why is that? Has nothing to do with how your wife's chewing her food. Maybe it's a little sloppy and you need to say something, but you shouldn't be that triggered. You know what I mean? And that's where it comes down to is that when we have these traumas and when we are in a relationship, it's really having an understanding of what triggers you and understanding those are about you, understanding your partner's triggers and just doing your best to try to not trigger the other person. Okay. Are you going to be able to successfully do that all the time? No. But when we have trauma, we have to work with one another. We have to understand one another. And sometimes we need to hold a little space for them when they mess up. Sometimes we have to hold a little space when it seems like it's too much. Yeah, it's, it's about communicating, guys. You know, just communication. We talked about processing, uh, and we've talked about that in, a, in a, a separate podcast. Processing is important, and processing with your partner is important, right? So they understand what your triggers are, what it is that you're feeling, and working through those feelings and understanding where they come from. And it's exactly what you said, right? It's When, you, when you're a trigger, when you're triggered, it's about you. It's not about the, the partner. It's about how you feel about that and understanding why that is is important, but also communicating that effectively to your partner so they understand, okay, I was triggered because you did this, and I understand that I'm triggered because of that. Then it helps that partner say, okay, then I, I can either I, you know, either I can stop doing that or maybe there's a better way to do something. It's about working working with one another it's teamwork it's real teamwork yeah so and and it's it's in and not to say that it isn't difficult it is very difficult when and you not have, to say that they're not annoying like. yeah well you know when you have two people with you know separate traumas separate you know life experiences then it becomes difficult you know and especially when you when you when you share the same trauma you know i think we're unique in the sense that we both come from trauma we come from these different spectrums. We have this yin and yang between us. So it's easier for us to kind of deal with one another's trauma because it's it's so different than than the other ones that we became this yin and yang for each other, right? So you have to find that. And it's 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 very difficult when you're with a partner that has the exact same trauma as you, right? So if you're both dealing with abandonment, let's say, right? It's it's it, you know, it could be very challenging, you know, because it's like, you know, you, you're, you're, you're triggering each other's abandonment and you're both dealing with the abandonment, then it becomes a big, a big problem. But again, it's about communicating. It's about processing it effectively. That's how you work through these things. Absolutely. All right. So next question, how do you open your eyes to what you're blind of? Well, <laughs> that's a great one. And so to open your eyes, you need to ask questions because your ears aren't closed, you know? So even if you're blind, completely blind to what's in front of you, and I am guilty of this, you can still ask yourself questions. What can you feel right now? What are you willing to see? Can you look a little bit closer? You're never going to find out what you're blind to if you don't stop and ask yourself questions. What's that saying, honey? It says something along the lines of you don't know what you don't know or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Oh, yeah. I got it right. Yeah. I got it right. That's success. You don't, yeah, you don't know what you, you don't, don't know. know. You don't know. And you don't know what you don't know until you can start asking yourself questions. So you may not know that you have all of these things related to trauma going on and that's why you're acting that way. But what you can do is, is a simple exercise too. Write down... If you have a partner and they're constantly saying the same thing to you, write it down and look at that. 
You know, start opening up your senses. Start asking questions. You have to seek to try to understand or you're not going to get the information that you need. And there's only one way to do that. And it's not easy. And it's asking yourself question after question after question. It's doing an intense interview one-on-one where you are the one asking and you are the one answering. Yeah, we're, we're all born blind, right? We're all born not being able to see, right? And we're in to another extent, and this might be tough for people to hear, but we're all ignorant, right? We're all born ignorant. We don't know what we don't know. So it's important to to understand that, right? And it's important to embrace that. You know, and that's and, and we'll probably do a podcast at, at one point about, you know, you, you touched upon a little bit racism, right? Racism is ignorance, is not understanding, you know, what someone else is going through. And that's where it stems from. Right. And the, the same thing goes with this. Right. When you're ignorant and, you know, that that's kind of where this question is, when you're blind to something it means you're ignorant to something you don't you don't know. But it's understanding that I don't know what I don't know. Right understanding that there's something I don't know here. Let me do the work to find out what it is that I don't know. That's where you, your eyes open. That's where you become, you're, you become awakened to what the possibilities are, right? To what is left that you need to learn. So we're going to take a quick pause here for a special message. Then we'll continue with our Q&A and uh, we'll have some more answers to some of your questions. So we'll be right back. We want to take a moment to thank our listeners for all their continued support. If you like the show, please consider supporting us via Venmo at QAskCourtney. That's the letter Q, Ask Courtney. Any amount is appreciated and will help us to be here with you on your self-improvement journey. You can also reach us at podcast with an S at epiphanymedia.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-H-A-N-Y media.com. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. So thanks for staying with us, and we're here doing a quick Q&A. Yep. And let's see what our next question next is. Um, if you could go back and do one thing differently with your healing journey, what would it be? Well, this is a no-brainer for me. I would have listened to my husband. I would have listened to you. And not just heard you, but really listened to what you were saying. And I would have found every scrap of friggin' energy and willpower that I could have found to prop open my own eyes, to see what I needed to see then, what I'm now seeing now. That's basically what I would do. I would open my eyes a lot sooner. I would accept what I didn't want to see in myself a lot sooner. And I would start working on that process, you know, years ago. But shoulda, coulda, wouldas don't belong in the healing process. And I wasn't ready then, which means that, yeah, I could have opened up my eyes, but that doesn't mean that I would have effectively handled it. I could have easily have walked away and ran. But I'm ready now, and I'm ready now to see those things, and I have been. So shoulda, coulda, woulda, don't belong in the healing process. Well, okay. So let's uh, <laughs> got nothing to add to that one, do you? No, there really isn't. I, you know, if, if it's the my question, personal question, so yeah, uh, yeah, I was gonna say because uh, I don't know how I would answer that, well, right? Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Well, where when I. Well, you know, if I could, <laughs> I think about this all the time, right? If if I could go back, knowing everything I know now, I would have, you know, would have. There were so so many things that that I could have changed, right? That I could have been more aware of, um, and that's that's you know, I I, I wish I would have would have been more aware of you know certain things, especially with the with the parenting, the 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 younger the older kids, you know, there's so many things that I could have changed about the way I approach certain things 
if you know again if i had but shoulda coulda woulda's right exactly there's nothing doesn't change you can't yeah you can't cry over spilled milk at this point right you can only move forward if it's chocolate milk i'm gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) you could do the best with what you got now right so let's let's move on here why does the pain of breaking up with a narcissist hurt so bad Okay, well, breakup is breakup and hurt, hurt, right? Pain hurts, loss hurts. But here's the thing with narcissism that not a lot of people understand. So with narcissism comes love bombing, okay? And love bombing triggers the same parts of your brain that addiction does. When you have been loved so deeply where your needs are met on every single level and then hurt so deeply on every single level, it creates this cognitive dissonance in your brain where your right and left side just don't seem to match up. So the pain of trying to lose something that triggered you on a level that is so intense is is hard. You know, love bombing goes like this. Too good to be true. Showering you with gifts, love and affection, giving you everything you could ever ask for, plus some and doing it repeatedly over and over. And then slowly breaking you down and hurting you to the point where you just don't feel like you can come back. And then it's that cycle going over and over. So dopamine, serotonin and those endorphins are released in your brain. And what happens is is it creates this trauma bond. And that's why it's a lot harder to walk away from the toxic relationships. This is where you'll see someone say, why did you stay with your abuser for so long? How come you didn't just leave? It's not that easy. It's like asking an addict, why did you pick up again? Why can't you just stop? It's the same parts of your brain are triggered when you're with a narcissist. And that's actually proven. You can look it up. And narcissists are they're masters at manipulation. Yes. Right? Because it is because it is it's just fulfilling their own needs. They're so adept to to doing that, right? That they can manipulate the situation and make it seem like it's it's about it's you, right? It's it's you're you're the cause of all this when they're just manipulating the situation to to fill their own selfish desires, right? So it's it's important to understand that, right? And and again, it narcissists they they prey they prey on like the people that are i don't want to say vulnerable but you know there's certain personalities that want to look at the best look at you know the good side of things right and they prey on that because they 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 look for that those traits so if you've been with a narcissist it's because you have these inherent traits that you have to address and look at yourself and say why was this narcissist attracted to me you know, you have to look because you can't change the narcissist. That's for them. But what you can do is start to look at yourself and see what traits do I have that attracted that, you know, that they saw. It's like the, you know, the line in the gazelle, in, in the gazelle right? The line is going to go after the slowest gazelle, right? He's not going to go after the fastest one because he's probably not going to, you know, he, he might, he has a lot less chance of catching that one. He's going to go for the one at the back of the pack, the one that's, that's, you know what I'm saying? The easier prey. So it's understanding, okay, if I was with a narcissist, there were certain things, there's certain factors within me that he was attracted to, that he was able to manipulate, understanding that and understanding, okay, these are the things that I need to change about myself. If I, if I want to move forward, if I don't want to attract another narcissist. Exactly. That's what's important. All right. So next question. Why is loving myself so hard to do? It's hard to love yourself when you've never seen love in an appropriate format or in a healthy format. When you grow up and your emotional needs aren't met, you're neglected or what have you. And 
you see that, okay, these people are the people, my parents, my caretakers, they brought me into this world. I, something must be wrong with me. I must be so worthless that they abandoned me or that they don't show me love and affection. So somehow their narrative and their own projections and insecurities become yours and you lose that sense of self. And our senses of self, our id, the ego and all that is developed at a very young age in childhood. And because of that, we then lose that foresight and ability to see ourselves. Remember, we see mirrored images when we are children. So we mimic the behavior that we see. So if we see someone disrespecting us, if we see someone not showing us value or being kind and caring and showing us love and self-respect, then we start to mimic that behavior for ourselves, where we have no compassion for ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We put ourselves down. So self-love is really challenging. But as an adult, we can sit here and effectively say, okay, I should not be basing my own value and my own love and worth based off of the opinion of another human being who is no better than I am. And that is what it took for me. It took that for me to find self-love for myself. It was the hardest thing I had to do. I had, I didn't even realize I didn't love myself. I had to look myself in the mirror after I've been repeatedly told you don't love yourself to be like, holy crap. You don't love yourself. I thought I did. I didn't even pay any attention to it. But it was in my behavior. It was in my actions. It was in fawning. It was in everything. I just wanted to do everything for everybody so that I could then get love. I could do that same stuff for myself. I could do everything for myself and love myself. Yeah, it's about having self-worth. And that, again, what you said, right? It, it's developed at a very young age. You have to, if the people around you aren't encouraging that, right? In in your uh, instance, the the exact opposite, right? They were they were fueling the the idea that you didn't have value outside of what you could provide. Then yes, absolutely, it, it was it was so detrimental to you, and I'm sure to a lot of our listeners, right? If you don't have those very beginning stages of of someone valuing you and and, and appreciating you, then it's hard for you to to have that later on, mm -hmm. but it's important to, to start to see that, you know, and you know, that that's what this self help journey is about. Right. Cause we're all survivors of trauma. We're all survivors of this, of this stuff. Right. If you're listening to it, if you're, if you're listening to us now and you, if you identify with what we talk about, then again, most likely you're a survivor of some form of trauma it's important to understand that 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 this is this is the journey, right? This is why we do the things that we do and that we talk about the things that we talk about because it's important to start to see these connections and start to take the journey this journey with us to help, you know, to to be a better version of yourself. That's what this is all about, right? Let's all be a better version of ourselves or the best version of ourselves. To do that, we have to look back. We have to deal with the traumas that we've we've dealt with and transform, like we talked in trauma gifts, right? Mm -hmm. Transform these negative things and make them into positive things. Make them positive for ourselves and for, for those around us. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. And I think we got through a good amount of those questions. Yeah, I think that's it. For I think I had one more, one or two, but we ran out of time, so we'll We'll save that for the next time. Absolutely. I hope you guys got some of your questions answered here. If you didn't get it, you one of your questions answered, make sure to send those questions over to us in the next Q&A. We'll try to get that in for you. 
So guys, if you aren't following me already, you can find me on TikTok at Ask.Courtney, on Instagram at AskCourtney underscore, and on YouTube at AskCourtney. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future podcast, you can reach us at podcast with an S at epiphanymedia.com. We'd love to hear your stories, guys, so make sure to reach out. And as always, we're all in this together, so stay safe. Remember, there's no shame in asking for help. Till next time.